Good morning, church. Good morning. Uh, I am excited to see you all. Yes. Uh, if you don't know me, my name's Chris. I'm one of the pastors here at Kesed. And sometimes the preacher comes up here and says, I'm excited. I'm like really excited this morning. Now, different kind. Well, so some of you are that kind of excitement. That's great. All right. I'm a little, that's like my seven-year-old excitement. Okay. That's, uh, that's SpongeBob's on. All right. Excitement. I'm, I'm a little bit different um, level of excitement today. It's more of an expectant excitement, if I'm honest with you, because we're going to talk about Jesus today. So here's the thing. We're going to talk all about Jesus today. And here's what I know. 13 years of being a Christ follower, I know that every single time that I truly, that I truly encounter Jesus, that I look on his face, he changes me. He transforms me, right? And so be, the reason that I'm excited is not only for myself, right? Uh, this is my third time, so I preached this message twice already this morning, so I'm really excited about it because I kind of know where we're going, okay? <laughs> but I'm also excited for you. I'm excited for you because I'm, this is an invitation for you to walk with me and the rest of our team into an interaction with Christ that hopefully will change you. That isn't just mundane Sunday morning, I've done this before, and we're going to hear the word of God, and where's lunch going to be later on? This is an opportunity to commune with our creator this morning, our Jesus. And so that's what the invitation is today. We're in a series that we're calling Coram Deo, which means before the face of God. And the, the, the simple idea is we spent four weeks in a series called Visible. And what we wanted to do is take different people in our congregation, in our community, and we want to see them. And not just kind of see them, but really see them. And, and the, the encouragement to you was to, to then look around at your world and see who's, who's unseen around you. As we did that and as we had conversations with you, we thought it was really appropriate and it was time for us to stop and have a three-week series where we look at the face of God and God in his different expressions. So last week, Danny started our series looking at God the Father. Today, we will look at God the Son, Jesus Christ, and the next week, we will talk about God the Spirit. But today, today we get to talk about Jesus. And I'm excited for that. Um, you have a job to do this morning, okay? I, almost every time I speak up here, I want to remind you of that. I'm not the only one doing work here. You're going to do some work here as well this morning. This is your job today. As I share about the life of Jesus and the words of Jesus, and we, and we keep this idea of living before the face of God in front of our minds and in our hearts, your job is to ask questions like, are there parts of me of me, of my desires that aren't living a Coram Deo life? Are there any parts of me that I'm not inviting God fully into to be Lord over my life? And if so, may this be the day that you invite him in. Amen? Amen. Second Corinthians 4, 6 tells us this, For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. As we gaze on the face of Christ, we are looking at God's glory. When I was in uh, Bible college at Multnomah, right across the river here, I took a course just on Christ Christology, which is the study of Christ on Jesus, and I had a 25-page paper that I had to write about this, right? 25 pages, I think it was six months of my life. Looking at it now, all right, that kid, it was probably seven years ago when I went there, um, 
he didn't know anything about Jesus, right? He knew enough at the time, and he could put some stuff down on paper that was true and right, right? But when I look back now, I feel like my, my relationship with God is firmer because I actually am talking about a relationship with him, not just things about him. What we want to do today is invite you into a relationship with him. We're going to talk about stuff about him, but your job isn't just to write those down and then be able to win the, the Bible Jeopardy uh, at the, <laughs> down the road. Your job is to know him, to truly know him. You're confronted with the question today, do you know him? Do you know who this man is? Now, we can't do this in one week. Um, John 21, 25 tells us that there are also uh, many other things that Jesus did were every one of them to be written. I suppose that the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. All right? We're not going to be able to know Jesus fully today, and that's actually a really good thing. We're going to hit that again in the end. It's a really good thing that we'll not know Jesus all the way today because he's bigger than that, than, than 60 minutes together on a Sunday morning, and we can be thankful for that. But we can do what we can this week, and we will do our best to look into the face of the man who lived some 2,000 years ago from the town of Nazareth, the son of a carpenter. I love this quote from W.E.H. Lakey, who is a skeptic, who is not a Christian, which I don't, if you're an author, do you just start putting like letters instead of your name? Does that make you smarter? His name's W.E.H. Like, I don't know how you get what name becomes W.E.H., but hey, he's a skeptic, but this is what he has to say about Jesus, not a Christ follower. He says this, Jesus has exerted so deep an influence that it may be truly said that the simple record of three short years of active life has done more to regenerate and to soften man mankind than all the dispositions of philosophers and all the exhortations of moralists. Simply put, Jesus' three years of earthly ministry did more than everyone else combined. Everyone else combined. That's why we look here this morning. That's why his words are in red in the Bible that we open. How do we do this? Where do we begin when we want to do this? Well, the great place to begin is the Gospels. At the beginning of the New Testament uh, are the four Gospels who give us four different accounts of the life of Jesus who give us, and, and them together give us a more complete picture of Christ. Now we're going to start today in the uh, book of Mark, just at the very beginning of it. And I love the book of Mark, and here's why. Anyone else struggle for attention sometimes? Yeah, I can see who you are right now, by the way. Yeah, struggling for attention sometimes. You're like, you want it quick, you want it microwave, you want it fast, you want it here, Right. Well, the different, if you go, let's just say this, if you go to the movie theater today, right, and you're choosing for all the movies that you want to see, a lot of the choices that you make will be because of the genre of movie, the type of storytelling that's being told through the movie. You have your action movies, and you have your romantic comedies, and you have your dramas, and you have everything else, right? The books of the Bible, and specifically the Gospels, are are told by different storytellers, and they have different ways of telling it. So when you open the New Testament to the book of Matthew, it starts with a genealogy. So the author of the book of Matthew is really concerned that you understand the history. We want, really concerned with, you know how we got here, that this came from uh, the specific line of family, and this is really important to the Hebrew audience, right? If you open the book of Luke, really important that you understand the birth of Christ and what this means for us. If you open the book of Mark, right, you, you open directly into Jesus' ministry, his baptism, and literally 20 verses in, he's casting out demons. This is an action movie that he just did. This is why it's my favorite one, because you just jump right into the storm, right? You jump right into it. And the, the author of the book of Mark, uh, Mark or John Mark, in the very first line of the book, 
makes his intentions very clear. He has shaped this account and has carefully designed the story of Jesus. And he starts with this line. The beginning of the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. Let me read this again. The beginning of the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. No one's floored by that, right? We, we see that. We've heard that before. If you lived 2,000 years ago as a Hebrew, though, and you read this, you would say, wait, what? The guy from Nazareth, whose, whose dad is a carpenter, he's, he's what? All right, I did this first service. My, um, my friend Ryan is uh, always faithfully helping with everything that we see on the screen here today. And if I introduced you to Ryan, and I said, this is my friend Ryan, and Ryan is the president of the United States, you, you would look at me. Now, Ryan would make a great president, Okay. But you would look at me and say, no, he's not. I know who the president of the United States is, and that Ryan is not the president of the United States, actually. Right? That's a little bit of what's happening here. When Mark introduces Jesus into the story, he does so with a title that most of us just read. We can interchange Jesus, the Messiah, Savior, Son of God, Son of Man. It doesn't really matter. Those are just things. They're true about Jesus. When a Hebrew here would have heard this, they would have said, wait, what? This is, this guy is who again? Now Mark, when he begins his book, this is the only time that our author tells you what he thinks. He has, a, he has an agenda. He said, I need you to see Jesus correctly. And story after story are given and put together in a way so that you would see him correctly. So this is our mandate as Christians. We need to see Jesus correctly. Every false religion in the world um, has gone wrong because of a false view of who Jesus is. Jesus is the central theme of why we gather here on Sunday morning, and we need to see him correctly. Mark cares about this, and we need to also. From the beginning, he wants you to get the right picture of this man, Jesus. Now, really quick, close your eyes real quick, okay? Look at Jesus, right? All right keep, what does he look like? In your, in your mind, what does he look like? Okay, what does he look like? I'm going to put a picture on the screen. I want to know if this is what you saw. Okay, is this who you saw? Most, most of us, have you seen this before? Seen this photo before? I was studying on Friday, and I was talking to Alyssa, our program director, and I was telling her about this photo and telling her some of the history, and she goes, I think we have one. Right, so I went downstairs and went searching and actually found it up at Main Street Church right down the way. We had a picture of this. Most of us have seen this. Anyone have this hung in their house? No, what main, there you go. One, two, all right? Main Street had like, like 25, all right? Um, anyone's grandparents have this hung at their house at any point? Yes, beautiful painting. This is called the Head of Christ. It was also called the Solomon Head, and it is a 1940 portrait painting of Jesus of Nazareth by American artist Warner Solomon. It's an extraordinary work of popular devotional art and has been reproduced over a half with a B billion times, okay? New York Times uh, said that the, author, or the artist Warner Solomon is one of the top three artists, well-known artists of, of all time. Now, we don't know his name. We just know his art, right? Of, all of, of Van Gogh and Monet, of everyone, this is the art more people know. 
This painting is said to have become the basis for the visualization of Jesus for hundreds of millions of people. Did you know that this isn't how it originally began? All right, this isn't what, isn't what it originally looked like. All right, the original charcoal drawing was called The Son of Man, and it was on the cover of uh, the magazine called The Covenant Companion, created in 1924, 16 years before the other one that we knew about. 1933, in 1933, uh, a theological seminary in Chicago got a hold of this charcoal drawing, and they looked at it, and they said, we really like that, and they voted it the most accurate depiction of the face of Jesus. So what they did is they went back to the, the artists, and they said, we love this picture, but we'd love to see a color version of it, and that's how this that's how this one became. And this is the picture that has been sold and reproduced. This is the picture that is given to soldiers as they go out to battle. This is the picture. Um, there's a great uh, story about the earthquake that happened in L.A. Um, that is told that some 20, 30 years ago that a woman is running out of her home and she has her baby uh, under one arm and she has her uh, picture of Jesus or in the other. Of all the things that she could grab out of her home, these are the two most important things. Why is that? Why does this face matter so much to us? Why is this the one that is given to soldiers as a, as a beacon of hope? The original drawing was known as the Son of Man. As we, as Christ's followers, are aiming to engage with this Jesus, we need to understand what this term means, and here's why. If you read the Gospels, they record some 78 times that Jesus used this title for himself. Jesus didn't refer to himself most often as Son of God, but as Son of Man. When Jesus introduces, and you'll read them, we'll read a few stories today. When Jesus introduces himself as Son of Man, that's another one of these titles that everyone around would have said, wait, what? And here's why. In the book of Daniel in the Old Testament, the prophet Daniel records several of the visions he was given while living in Babylon. In verses 9 through 14, Daniel describes the vision he had of God Almighty. In this vision, God, known as the Ancient of Days, sits in judgment over the beasts that had been ruling the earth. He executes judgment and takes their dominion away from them. The dominion of the earth is taken from the beasts and given to one like the Son of Man. This one becomes Lord of all and is given to reign over all peoples, nations, and languages in a kingdom that will never end. This Son of Man, above all else, is a heavenly figure. It emphasizes the origin majesty, and dignity of this ruler who will rule over all things ever, forevermore. When Jesus calls himself the Son of Man, he is identifying himself with this heavenly figure from the book of Daniel. The Son of Man has the double meaning of human being, and according to Daniel 7, exalted heavenly one, and Jesus means to communicate both, that he was a real man that really lived 2,000 years ago, was the son of a carpenter, really lived flesh and bone, but that is not normal. That is God in flesh. And he is saying to everyone around, this is me. This is me. And you need to see me correctly for who I am. What I want to do today is start um, in a story in Matthew chapter 16, and we're just going to briefly um, hit this, okay? We're each confronted with this question of who Jesus is. In, in the book of Matthew, Jesus is with his disciples, and he asks this question, because this Son of Man guy is a really big deal who he was, and he asks his disciples, who do the people say that the Son of Man is? And they say, well, this, he's a, uh, a prophet, or he's 
John the Baptist or it was Elijah. And then Jesus looks at his disciples and he says, who do you say I am? Right? The question that every single one of us are confronted with whenever we come to church, whenever we live and breathe, who is this man Jesus? And Peter, do you remember being in class? It's been a while since I've been in class. Do you remember being in class and raising your hand and like the feeling when you give the answer and it's the right answer? Right? Do you remember that feeling? So Jesus, uh, so Peter raises his hand and who do you say I am? And, and Peter goes, you're Messiah. You're the son of man. You're the Christ. And Jesus says, gold star, way to go, right? But beyond that, he says, you've, you've gotten this right. And he says, this most incredible, he says, Peter, you're the rock, and on this rock I'm going to build the church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. So we've got gold star Peter, okay? Awesome Peter, he's right, he's got Jesus figured out. The literally next text in line, it says that Jesus brought his disciples together, his inner circle, and he says, I'm not going to tell this to everyone, but I'm going to reveal to you that this son of man that you've been hearing about all of your life, that you've been expecting all of your life, I am him, and the son of man is going to die on the cross and is going to be resurrected after three days. All right? And he's revealing the truth about the son of man. And because Peter is Peter and a little rambunctious, all right, and a little crazy and not fully listening and not fully paying attention like most of us tend to do, right? He pulls Jesus aside. Can you imagine pulling the Savior, the Son of Man aside and says, I need to tell you something, right? And he pulls him aside and says, uh, Jesus, that's not going to happen. Uh, I'm not going to let that happen, right? Because he wants to be gold star Peter, right? We all want to be this gold star Christian and like, I got the answer right. Jesus, I will never let anything like that happen to you. And what he's missing in the stories, yes, he can say the titles of Jesus, but is he participating in the mission of Jesus? And Jesus turns to him and he looks him square in the eyes and he says, depart from me, Satan. Whoa, whoa, this is gold star Peter. He gets the answers right. And somehow this, in the same conversation, he goes from, I, I know exactly who you are, Jesus, to get away from me, get out of my way. And so because of this, we as the Christ follower, we need to, we need to see this as a warning a little bit. Now, we can have a correct uh, physical look at Jesus. We can even say the right titles of, of him. But it doesn't mean that we are participating in who he is. So to do so, we have to keep looking. And we have to keep looking. And we have to keep looking. Now, to keep looking today, I want to look um, at a story in the book of Mark. One of my favorite stories in all of the text where Jesus heals the paralytic. Most of us have heard this story before. Okay? Jesus heals the paralytic. Now, Again, whenever we're reading the text, Danny taught me this as my youth pastor, and I'm going to teach you this as well. You go there, right? So I'm asking you to leave your seat that you're in right now. Okay, not physically. You don't have to stand up, by the way. You all got nervous. Many of your eyes were like, what? Right? No, I'm asking you to go to the scene of the story. All right? Here's the scene of the story. Chapter 2 begins with verse 1. And when he returned to Capernaum after some days, it was reported that he was at home. And many were gathered together so that there was no more room, not even at the door. And he was preaching the word to them. Jesus is preaching the word. And they came, bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. And then they could not get near to him because of the crowd. They removed the roof above him. And when they had made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. Stop. Okay? Don't sit here. Go to that story. You're in the room with Jesus. Jesus is teaching, right? Whenever Jesus starts te 
teaching, people start coming because as the scriptures tell us over and over and over again, this isn't a normal guy teaching. He teaches with a different kind of authority. This isn't a scribe and a Pharisee who would just parrot the words of God. This person spoke with authority, right? And so Jesus teaching and everyone's telling their friend and they're all coming. So friends hear about this, right? And they have their own friend who, again, dive into the story. If you've ever known anyone with physical ailments, it's difficult. And to climb into that story, maybe you're in this room right now and you have a physical ailment and you know that this affects your life. So these friends have their, have their friend, and they say, I, I hear this person, Jesus, he heals people physically. He's like a doctor, and so we're going to do whatever it takes, right? So they do whatever it takes. They full-on, by the way, break the rules. They cut in line, right? You ever think about that in this story? They cut in line. There's a line to see Jesus, and they're like, I'm breaking the rules. Again, you're in the room right now. Imagine as I'm talking to you, all right, a little bit of dust starts falling from the ceiling right here. Just a little bit of dust, Okay. And then a little bit more dust, and then like a piece falls down, right? Jesus is teaching the entire time because his teaching is so amazing. But a few of you are like, what is happening right now? And then you see a hand come in, and it starts breaking pieces of the roof off. And then, and then several hands, all right? And all of a sudden, there's a dude there, right? And he's on a rope, and he's getting lured down into the room. And you're going, what is Jesus? What is happening? And by the way, before that guy gets lowered down, like four heads pop and they look around and they're looking for Jesus because they want to put him next to Jesus. So they lower him down and they put him next to Jesus. And this is what happens. They let him down the bed on which the paralytic lay. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, son, your sins are forgiven. Amen. Hallelujah. Right? Wait a second. Hold on. You're there. That You're a real human being. Anyone been to the doctor before? Okay? You have to go into the room, wait way too long, sit in the weird white paper that crinkles and everything. Okay? Right? You go in there, the doctor comes in. Let's say today you go home and by the, it's not going to happen, right? But you break your leg and you got to go to the doctor and you're waiting in there and the doctor comes in and they say, what happened? I broke my leg. And the doctor looks at you and looks at your leg and looks at you and says, son, your sins are forgiven. That's not what I'm here for. Thank you, by the way. Not what I'm here for right? Jesus, though, Jesus has his own agenda. Do you know that? His friends have their own agenda. This is who Jesus is. Jesus is a doctor. He's a physical healer. We're going to do whatever it takes because I love my friend and I'm going to bring my friend next to Jesus. And Jesus, your job is to heal him, okay? Go, right? And all of a sudden, Jesus says, your sins are forgiven. Now, this is where the story starts to get crazy, as if it's not crazy already. Now, some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts, why does this man speak like that? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive forgive sins but God alone? They think this in their mind, but this is the problem with hanging out with Jesus. He knows what you're thinking. This is the problem. And immediately Jesus, perceiving in his spirit that they thus questioned within themselves, said to them, why do you question these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say that to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise, take up your bed, and walk. But that you may know that who? The Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And he rose and immediately picked up his bed and went out before them all, so that all that were there were amazed and glorified God, saying, we never saw anything like this. Now, I want you to remember that you're not here. You're in that room. So you're amazed and you're glorified because we've never seen anything like this. Have you ever seen anything like that? 
I haven't seen anything like that before. We're not here. We're in that room. We're, we're present in the story, in the narrative of Christ. This is how the world changed because a few people encountered the living God and saw what he did every single day. Remember that the whole world can, couldn't combine all the stories of who Jesus is and what he's done on our behalf. We zoom in to this person of Jesus and we realize that he is bigger than we could ever imagine him to be. Jesus' message is clear to all who will listen. I'm the one you're looking for. Now I wonder what you are longing and looking for now. I wonder what, it, like, like deep down, like that, that part of you that is not satisfied, that part of you that keeps you up at night, that part of you that is longing, that is hoping, that is wishing, that, that even you may not even be able to put into words what you're after. My answer is simple. It's him. Now, that's, that may be a simple answer, but it's deeper than you could ever imagine. If it is hope, it is healing, it is freedom, if it is joy, if it is peace you seek, Jesus says, I am it. N.T. Wright, the New Testament scholar, said, Jesus, the Jesus we might discover if we really looked, is larger, more disturbing, more urgent than we, than the church had ever imagined. I have a really simple message for you here today. It's this. Look at Jesus. I wonder when you first looked. Can you remember? When you first looked, maybe not just the picture, but like set your gaze on him, recognized he was in the room, recognized that he's always been looking back at you. When I was 20, um, I had interaction with Jesus. And some people, their first interaction with Jesus is this really cool moment. Mine was a hard one. Mine was a phone call to go to the hospital. And my grandma Helen had had some sort of physical um, something. All I was told was get here quick. And when I get to the hospital, you know, most of the time if you have ever gotten a phone call like this, you have to go in and you have to ask the front desk, what room do I go to or where's she at? When I got to the hospital, my family was all outside of the hospital, right? The reason is that she had already passed, right? Um, she had had an aneurysm. Now, this is 20-year-old Chris, who's not a Christ follower, who is a, a ball of emotion and passion and anger and just a lot of different things, who wants a lot of good things but really doesn't know how to do it in this life. And so at this moment, I'm, I, am, I get told this, and I turn, and I'll never forget the rest of my life. I look to the heavens, and I look to the skies, and I curse the skies. Now, God and I had not talked before, right? Maybe a couple times growing up when I wanted uh, this girl to like me or to pass a test, we had had a couple conversations, but he wasn't real. But in this moment, I looked. Now, it wasn't a pretty look, I'll be honest with you. It wasn't, I'd love to be able to say it was, I fell on my knees at that moment and, and proclaimed and preached my first sermon 30 minutes later to people in the waiting room. That's not what happened. But this was my first look. And I think there's something about the fact that Jesus loves that we look, that we try. Um, it's rained a lot last couple days, right? Uh, on the forecast, I think on Friday it said over the weekend we'd get about six inches of rain, Okay. 
when we hear that, we're like, cool, six inches of rain. That's a lot of rain, right? We had a soccer game yesterday, and it's a lot of rain. My son heard that same thing. We're in the garage on Friday night, and my son asked me, how much is an inch, right? And so I get a tape measure, and I show him this much is an inch. And he did oh, this beautiful thing. And he, he goes like this with his inch, and he goes all the way down to the ground, and he stacks them, right? This is all, the only way he knows how to get six inches, and so he stacks them. And he gets to six inches, and he goes, whew, man, I was really hoping that wasn't going to be over my head. Now, <laughs> I could, as dad, been like, no, buddy, six inches is only this big. And the real, uh, if you knew the truth, it would be, you're like 50 inches now. He's almost 50. He really wants to get to 50 because that's where you can ride the right rides, right? But he's, I thought it was beautiful. Just a, what a beautiful thing that he took that bit of information. He was curious and he wanted to find out because in his mind, he was gauging how much, how much anxiety should I have over this whole rain flood thing that's going to have right now, Right? I think the same is true in our interactions with Jesus, that he just wants us to look. He wants us to engage. He wants us to find out more. He wants us to know more. My first look was at Jesus on that day, and that was a really hard day, right? And then somehow, way, I ended up at the movie, The Passion of Christ, and I got a whole different look of Jesus, a whole different side of him that I never knew before existed. And that, that somehow brought me to a little church, landmark church in Battleground where I got saved. And there I was introduced to the family of Christ that I had never experienced before. And then from that day on, I've just been decision after decision and interaction after interaction with Jesus. What I don't want to do is be the person that lives off yesterday's interactions with him, though. Those are beautiful interactions, and I would love to tell the testimony of what God has done in my life. But I want to tell that testimony 30 years from now of the, t- of the interactions that I'm having right now and in the years to come. It's not enough to just look at the picture of Jesus and say, I know Jesus. The same way that I look at my wife and my son, I want to know them more each day. I can look into greater detail on the, the, the beauty and the imperfections and all the in-between of listening and paying close attention. As we stare into the face of Jesus, He meets us. He meets you. He will and is waiting to meet you wherever you sit, however you sit this morning. He's waiting for you. He's always been looking at you. From day one, he's always been looking at you. The most amazing moments in my life when I've stopped and I've actually looked back. That's our very simple truth this morning. Would you look at Jesus? Would you not stop looking at him? I want to read something to you and your job this morning. I'm going to read, the scriptures do this beautiful job of presenting Jesus in all these different ways. I want to read like 50 of them this morning to you. And I, I wonder which ones, as I read this, which ones resonate this morning with you? Which, which facet of him do you see right now? All are true of him, but I, what I think is one or two is going to stick out to you. The scriptures tell us that Jesus is the almighty one who is and was and who is to come. That he is alpha and omega He is the advocate, the resurrection, and the life. He is the door. He is the way. He is the bread of life. 
Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. He is the beloved Son of God, the bridegroom, the chief cornerstone, the de- our deliverer. He is faithful and true. He is the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. He is our good shepherd, our great high priest. He is the head of the church, the holy servant, the great I am. He is our indescribable gift. He is king of kings. He is the lamb of God and the light of the world. He is Emmanuel. He is God with us. He is the lion of the tribe of Judah. He is the Lord of all. He is our mediator, our Messiah, the mighty one, our authority. He is the one who sets us free. And when he sets you free, you will be free indeed. He is our hope. He is our peace. He is our prophet. He is our redeemer. He is our risen Lord. He is the sacrifice for our sins. He is our savior. He is the son of the most high, the supreme creator over all. He is the word, the true vine. He is our rock. He is our truth. And you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. He is the victorious one. He is the wonderful counselor, the mighty God, everlasting father. He is prince of peace. He is the son of man. He is all of this, and he is so much more. And if you'll just look at him, if you'll gaze upon him, if you allow your whole self, I was so convicted this week. I'm, I'm going to do, um, I'm going to read a passage of scripture to you in just a moment that I read this week, and it had me weeping in my office. And for a couple of different reasons, it was so beautiful. Jesus' words, his prayer to the Father on our behalf for his followers, but also this conviction that I desire to be, <laughs> I want to be Gold Star Peter, right? I want to be the one who's first in line. I want to say to Jesus, here am I, I'll go first, right? And I read this beautiful passage of Scripture, Jesus' words, and I couldn't remember reading it before. I know I'm sure I studied it in college at some point, but these, the red words in the Scriptures, the ones that matter, were far from me. And it was this conviction that I had that as a Christ follower, I don't want to get good at this church thing. I don't want to just get good at the rest of life. Some things matter more than other, others. And being in communion and relationship with my Jesus is the most important. There's this consistent theme as I studied this week. The greatest theologians kept saying the same thing. C.S. Lewis said, look for Christ and you will find him and with him everything else. Charles Spurgeon said, We shall never find happiness by looking at our prayers, our doings, or our feelings. It is what Jesus is and not what we are that gives rest to the soul. If we would at once overcome Satan and have peace with God, it must be by looking unto Jesus. Keep thine eyes simply on him. Let his death, his sufferings, his merits, his glories, his intercession be fresh upon thy mind. And when thou wakest in the morning, look to him. When thou liest down at night, look to him. 
Alan Redpath said, give up the struggle and the fight. Relax in the omnipotence of the Lord Jesus. Look up into his lovely face, and as you behold him, he will transform you into his likeness. You do the beholding, he does the transforming. There is no shortcut to holiness. N.T. Wright said, if you want to know who God is, look at Jesus. If you want to know what it means to be human, look at Jesus. If you want to know what love is, look at Jesus. If you want to know what grief is, look at Jesus. And go on looking until you're not just a spectator, but you're actually a part of the drama which has him as the central character. I wonder if you've been looking. Not just here. But I wonder if you've been truly looking. Can you say that? Can you look into his eyes and say that? This isn't, this isn't by the way, a place of shame. That's not what this is about. This is about us as Christ followers living into the purpose and the passion that we are created for. Into partnering with Jesus into his mission. And I wonder what it would look like to truly look. What would need to change? This is the place we invite Jesus into. In just a moment, we're going to celebrate communion together. And that is an opportunity for us as Christ followers to come before him, both in the blessing and also repentance. And also confessing, knowing that we have this wonderful mediator that listens and forgives our sins, but in them wants us to acknowledge them and, and walk out of them. But here's what I want to do as we prepare for that time. I want to read something over you. John chapter 17 has this Jesus prayer for his followers. Now, how blessed are we that we have record of interaction between our Savior, the Son of Man, conversing and praying to the Father on our behalf. If you want to glimpse into the heart and the eyes of Jesus, then this is a really good place to start. So this is just what I'm asking. I'm going to read this over us today. The word's going to be on the screen if you need it. I would also encourage you, if you need to, to close your eyes and just listen. Just let all distraction move away from you, flood out of you, and give this time to him fully. These are the words of the one that created all that we see and know, that, that knit you together in your mother's womb, that knows you, that died on your behalf, and loves you. These words are on your behalf. And Jesus said these things. Then raising his eyes in prayer, he said, Father, it's time. Display the bright splendor of your Son, so the Son in turn may show your bright splendor. You put him in charge of everything human, so he might give real and eternal life to all in his charge. And this is the real and eternal life, that they know you, the one and only true God and Jesus Christ, whom you sent. I glorified you on earth by completing down to the last detail what you assigned me to do. And now, Father, glorify me with your very own splendor, the very splendor I had in your presence before there was a world. I spelled out your character in detail to the men and the women you gave me. They were yours in the first place, 
and then you gave them to me, and they have now done what you have said. They now know beyond the shadow of a doubt that everything you gave me is firsthand from you. For the message you gave me, I gave them. They took it and were convinced that I came from you. They believed that you sent me. I pray for them. I'm not praying for the God-rejecting world, but those you gave me, for they are yours by right. Everything mine is yours and yours mine, and my life is on display in them. For I'm no longer going to be visible in this world. They'll continue in the world while I return to you. Holy Father, guard them as they pursue this life that you conferred as a gift through me so they can be one heart and mind as we were as we are one heart and mind as long as i was with them i guarded them in the pursuit of life you gave through me i even posted a night watch and not one of them got away except for the rebel bent on destruction now i'm returning to you I'm saying these things in the world's hearing so my people can experience my joy complete in them. I gave them your word. The godless world hated them because of it, because they didn't join the world's ways just as I didn't join the world's ways. I'm not asking that you take them out of the world, but that you guard them from the evil one. They are no more defined by the world than I am defined by the world. Make them holy consecrated with the truth. Your word is consecrating truth. In the same way that you gave me a mission in the world, I give them a mission in the world. I'm consecrating myself for their sake so they'll be truth consecrated in their mission. I'm praying not only for them, but also for those who will believe in me because of them and their witness about me. The goal is for all of them to become one heart and mine, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you so they might be one heart and mind with us. Then the world might believe that you, in fact, sent me. The same glory you gave me, I gave them, so they'll be as unified and together as we are, I in them and you in me. Then they'll be mature in this oneness and give the godless world evidence that you've sent me and loved them in the same way you've loved me. Father, I want those you gave me to be with me, right where I am so they can see my glory the splendor you gave me having loved me long before there ever was a world righteous father the world has never known you but I have known you and these disciples know that you sent me on this mission I have made your very big being known to them who you are and what you do and continue to make it known so that your love for me might be in them exactly as I am in them. Will you pray with me? Lord, we don't need more than that. I pray that as we pass communion today, that it's not my words that matter, but yours, Lord. We want to hear yours, Lord. And so our worship, our praise, our confession are all acts of worship before this God who became flesh, who strives for this unity with us and with each other. So Lord, we give this time to you, communion to you. In Jesus' name we pray.
The ushers are going to pass communion, and then I'm going to come back up, and we're going to take communion together as a church family.